incredible worship, isn't it? See if I should have a wee taster of heaven. What are you doing tonight? <laughs> and it's just wonderful, praise the Lord. It's a real pleasure to, to introduce to you Kenny Borthwick. Now, I only found out last week I was at an event that Kenny was speaking at in Ella Lewis, the, the Lewis Revival for the 70th anniversary. And I just found out that he was bilingual. Am I right? Yeah, that's right. Come and see this. He thought that the phrase come and see this was Gaelic for something. But not being a Gaelic speaker, I'm sure that Kenny is. So anyway, Kenny, we're delighted you're here. We're really looking forward to what the Lord has laid in your heart. So let's welcome Kenny. It's, uh, it's really nice to be with you. If you have your Bibles, um, going to read, not going to take you uh, through a complete uh, book as David did this morning. Uh, just uh, a couple of chapters, Matthew chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4. And uh, we're going to read um, Matthew chapter 3 from verse uh, 16, just the baptism of Jesus. And then we'll read into chapter 4, uh, the temptation of Jesus. So Matthew 3 from verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. And then we read that Jesus actually begins his public ministry and declares and demonstrates in power that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, we bless God for his word and may give us understanding of it. Uh, I don't know what you need to know about me. Uh, my name's Kenny. I was a, a Church of Scotland minister, actively so, uh, for about 35 years, uh, before I actually took a lung condition uh, due to the, the manse that we were uh, living in. And that was followed by a heart attack and some heart operations. That was followed by bone disease and diabetes. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I really had thought, I'm probably not going to preach again. And everybody else said, well, you could write books. And only one pastor encouraged me that I would one day preach again. 
And that was a lady pastor. I don't know how you feel about that. But it was a lady pastor in Cumbernauld, Diana Rutherford, who's uh, one of the, the Struthers group of churches. And she said, no, you're not to write. You are going to preach again one day. And uh, by the grace of God, I'm preaching again. And uh, at first it meant I had to sit down. And actually, this is a scientific fact. I'm the same height sitting down as Amsterdam. <laughs> so nobody actually noticed the difference. <laughs> uh, but I don't need to sit down now, which again is just by the grace of God. And I know that many of you here are, are praying and have been praying. Uh, despite having to sit down, I have come out from behind the lectern because I don't want it to be like a Paul of Damascus experience that you hear a voice and see no man. <laughs> so come out and uh, I think that's a wee bit better. So uh, just for a couple of minutes, I, I've been thinking about evangelism and so on. Um, I just want you to turn and I'm not going to give you any more than two minutes. Somebody said, you know, if you had five minutes uh, to share the gospel. It was actually a, a guy who, cha- who trained Armley Chapman's and he gave them two minutes to uh, share the gospel. And uh, he said, I want you to imagine I'm lying down in the battlefield and I'm about to face eternity. You've got two minutes to tell me the gospel. And he would look at his uh, watch and after about a minute he would say, I'm dying man, I'm dying. <laughs> Get to the point and tell me the gospel. Well, I don't want you to take two minutes to share the gospel. I want you just to turn and talk to your neighbour. What do you believe as a disciple of Jesus you've been sent into the world to do. Just turn and talk to one another about that. What do you believe as a disciple of Jesus you've been sent into the world to do? Tithes. No one. Somebody. Well done. What does Jesus say when he sends his disciples out into the world? He says, go and make disciples of all nations. What does he say next? In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them as well to observe all that I have commanded you. Now Paul said he hadn't sent, been sent to baptize. What he meant by that was he didn't want anybody to think of themselves as his disciples. That was the context of saying that. But let me think about that. Do you remember? I think the, the thought in my head is this. Have you heard of the Canadian psychologist Jordan Peterson? He, he's written a very famous book, sort of 12 Rules for Living. And uh, it's especially been taken up by young men. Uh, and he makes this very simple point. He says, you know, we all grow up as teenagers or 20-something-year-olds and we want to change the world. You know what his first rule is? Keep your bedroom tidy. <laughs> so there's absolutely no point in thinking about changing the world if you can't keep your bedroom tidy. In other words, begin with yourself. We're, there's no point in us thinking about how we're going to get the church right if we can't keep ourselves right. There's no point about thinking how we're going to influence the world for Jesus if we're not living for Jesus ourselves. There's no point thinking about what does it mean to baptise others into the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit if you're not baptised in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. Now when I say that, I'm not wanting us to divide over modes of baptism. I'm wanting to think about what that's really a sign of. The word baptism means immerse. It definitely means that. It means immerse. What does in the name of mean? 
The word in, you'll see this in the footnotes of your Bibles, it means into. So we're talking about being immersed into. What does the name mean in the Bible? Well, names aren't just, you know, nowadays we'll name kids after soap stars or something. A generation ago we might have named them after our father or our grandfather. Back in the Bible, names meant a story. A story of who somebody really was. Moses was called Moses because he was drawn out of the reeds. Samuel was called Samuel. God hears because God will listen to Hannah's prayers and so on. So when we talk about the name of God, we're meaning immersing baptize in into the name who God really, really is. That's what names mean in the Bible. My parents obviously stopped to that meaning they called me Kenny. <laughs> Kenny is uh, Kenneth for Cognac. You know what it means? It means handsome. So they were obviously, they were obviously <laughs> sticking to that meaning. But the times being immersed into who somebody really is, who God really is, as who? This is who he is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. See, we're not really just called to take a message out of a book. We're called to take an encounter with a person. Yeah. We're called to take an encounter with the living God. And you know, if all we've got is a message out of the book, many people have a message to take to the world. If all we've got is a message, it won't cut it. We live in a pluralistic society where many people have many messages. We're actually called to introduce people to a living experience of the living God. And if we're not immersed, this is keeping the bedroom tidy, if we're not immersed in an overflowing experience of the life of God as Father, Son and Spirit, what are we doing thinking we've got anything to offer to the world? If we are called to bring others into an experience of God that can only be described as being immersed, being overwhelmed in the God who is Father, Son, and Spirit. How can we do that if we're not immersed ourselves? And so that's really where I want to begin. Are you overflowing with the life of God? <coughs> you know, there's a prayer that's become very, very popular in the church since the mid-90s. It's the prayer, more Lord, you are singing it to the ladies at the back. More Lord. <laughs> Some people don't like that because they say it's not theologically correct. How can you have more of a person that makes the Holy Spirit or God seem like something that can be dolloped out and served out. And, you know, there was a pastor who hated that prayer. Been a long time charismatic meeting and he heard people praying more Lord. And he enjoyed the meeting but didn't like the prayer. He happened to a true story, he happened to go home and as he was preaching in the pulpit he was baptized and the Holy Spirit began to speak in tongues. He'd never spoken in tongues before in his life. 
was a Cherokee Indian there, and they came up to him afterwards and said, uh, you were speaking my language. And uh, he said, oh, that's, that's really interesting. What was I saying? They said, well, you're saying a lot of things, but basically you were saying, more Lord. More Lord. <laughs> See, we divide over these things. How, how nuttery can we get? Which one of you here is going to dare to claim I've got all of God there is to have? Leonard Ravenhill was once speaking to a leader of Pentecostals. They were a leader of 120 million people. This is what he said. So what's different from your Pentecost? from the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. He said, what do you mean? He said, well, there's 120 of them. They turned the world upside down. You're saying there's 120 million of you who've experienced Acts chapter 2. What's different? Oh, we get so riled, don't we? And we divide into groups. I don't care what terminology you use. As Martin Lloyd-Jones said, got it all. In God's name, where is it? Mm -hmm. If we had it all, there'd be thousands skiing at the door of our churches. But you know, in Scotland, we've become so bizarrely non-biblical that we now think lack of success is a sign of faithfulness. When I was a minister on Thursday, God poured out his spirit. I could not share the good news of what God was doing with my fellow ministers. And they suspected that somewhere we must be being unfaithful. Because the sign that God was blessing is we're the remnant and we're getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And that proves we're the faithful ones of God. Do you think that what we're seeing in Scotland at the moment is an adequate reward for the lamb in suffering? Jesus envisaged an increasing harvest. In Isaiah 49, you, speak, you read of his conversation with his father. What does he basically say? He says, Father, I am depressed. Depression is not that Jesus was depressed. My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Father, I could die right now. I feel so heavy. I was converted in a psychiatric hospital at the age of 18. Somebody gave her the Gospel of John. She read it, believed that Jesus was the Son of God, lying face down in her hospital bed. She stretched her hand behind her and said, Jesus, take hold of my hand. And he did. Jesus was depressed, and you can read of the innerness of that in Isaiah 49, one of the servant songs. And this was what depressed him. He looked at the smallness of the number of the converts. 
I said, I've spent my strength in vain. Look at the numbers. And what did the father say? How did he encourage his son? He said, son, it's too small a thing that you should bring back the loss of the house of Israel to me. I've made you a light to all the nations. The father said, there's, there's going to be a harvest. And it's going to be big. Amen. So we're after an increasing harvest. He shall see fruit for his travail and be well pleased. How you get there? We get there by being filled to overflowing with Father's hands. And I don't care what you call it. Came a point in my life when I was training for the ministry. And I realised I did not have what it took. I was not full to overflowing with God. And I remember going along to a church. Never been to a Pentecostal church in my life. And I went along having prayed the prayer, Lord, I long to minister and be a blessing to others. But inside I feel dry and thirsty. Please fill me with the living waters of your spirit. So rivers of living water flow out of me into the desert of human need. Please suffuse me in your Holy Spirit. And somebody got up at the end of the service. Service meant nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. Somebody I thought maybe I'd just come to the wrong place. This isn't any part of my search. And then somebody stood up at the end and they spoke a message in tongues which I'd never heard before. Then someone stood up to interpret it. There's the interpretation. You long to minister and be a blessing to others. But inside you feel dry and thirsty. Come to me and I will fill you with the living waters of my spirit. And rivers of living water will flow out of you into the desert of human need. Come to me. And I will suffuse you in my Holy Spirit. Not one word of alteration. But my prayer fed back to me as a word from God. And they prayed for me. And two days later something happened, whatever you call it. And rivers started to flow. In a way that they'd not flowed before. That's all I can truthfully say. And they've never stopped. Never, the river never grows dry. Never. Let me take you into the story of the temptation of Jesus. Or restart with his baptism. You see, where did Jesus begin his ministry of influence and surely that's what we want to have. A ministry that affects the desert. Mm-hmm. Where did it begin with Jesus? It began here. Before he'd done a single thing. Before he'd ever done anything for the Father. 
in terms of public ministry. Where did it begin? It began with hearing his father's delight. You're my son, whom I love, and you bring me great joy. And so I wonder if you've ever actually realised this. This is the wonder of being in Christ. And this is absolutely essential for evangelism in the world such as it is today. If you're in Christ, the Father says over you what he said over Jesus. See, Christianity is not works. It's a righteousness that comes by faith, through faith, for faith. And Corrie Ten Boom used to illustrate it like this. She would hold up her thumb and say, there's your life. She would say, there's your life in Christ. And there's your life in Christ. Held in the love of God the Father. If you're in Christ. The Father says over you what he says over Jesus. Do you think in all eternity. There's ever going to come a day. Where the Father turns to Jesus at his right hand side. And say. Son I just want you to know this. You've always been a bit of a disappointment to me. It's never going to say it. Some of you still live under the cloud of being a disappointment to your earthly father. Are you feeling your heart you're a disappointment to your wife? Are you being a disappointment to your children they tell you so? The world works by works. The kingdom works by grace. And out there in this community right now, there's people who feel they've been a disappointment in life to everybody they know. And some are working hard to bury it through drugs and addiction. Others are working very hard to bury it through overwork. And how are we going to minister to a world that works by works if we ourselves are not sure of grace? Do you really, really believe that the Father is saying over you what he says over Jesus? This is what it means being in Christ. You're my son, and I love you, and you bring me great joy. That's the wonder of grace. See, some of us have never moved out of mercy into grace. Mercy is wonderful enough. If all I knew was that at the cross and because of the cross, God has had mercy on me and cleansed me of my sin, that would be enough to praise him and praise the Lamb forever and forever.
But salvation is not simply being saved out of. Out of the wrath we deserve. It's being saved into a love that we never deserve. If you think of yourself only as a saved sinner, believe me, I know I'm a saved sinner. I think that would disappoint the Father. He wants us to think of ourselves not just as a saved sinner, which we are, but as a much loved child of his grace. R.T. Kendall, that uh, I was sharing a conference with at the event that Andy was referring to, in one of his books he describes mercy. He said he was driving along somewhere in America and the policeman stopped him for going through a red light. That was offence number one. Offence number two he got himself into. He said, I was just driving at 40. The policeman said, it's a 30 mile limit, sir. <laughs> and then the policeman said, I've given out 19 tickets today. Give me one reason why I shouldn't make it 20 and go home. Narty Kendall said, I'm just asking for mercy. And the policeman looked at him and said, Well, all right then. Mercy is when you've got nothing that you can appeal to other than mercy. And we've got nothing to appeal to other than the mercy of God for our salvation. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace is different, it's getting what you don't deserve. Because in the Bible, Jesus says to us, it's the Father's good pleasure not just to give you mercy. It's my Father's good, good pleasure because of his mercy to give you everything he's got. Yeah. To give you his kingdom. Mm -hmm. Are you out of but not into? I can't give you a percentage. I think at least 80% of believers in meat are out of but not into. It takes a long while to believe that God is actually saying, I've not just saved you because I had to, because you trusted in the cross of my son. I actually just love you because I love you. Before you've done anything. Maybe later on we'll think, how do we get there? How do we make that move? I used to be a minister in Orkney. The shortest scheduled air flight in the world was between Papa Westry and Westry. And no sooner up than you were down again. The longest spiritual journey for many believers. The time it takes the love of God to get from here to here. Yeah. But if it's not there, what have we got to share with a world that runs by works? 
Let's move. There's where Jesus began his journey of influence before he did anything to have an influence. Just being loved by his Father. But we don't only believe in God the Father, we remember, we believe in God the Son. And what we see in the temptation stories is what it means. What is this Son that we need immersed into? Remember that Jesus has always been the Son. And even from eternity, before he became a human being, it was always, Thy will, Father. Thy will. And George MacDonald, who had a great influence on was it C.S. Lewis, he says that when Jesus came down to the earth, he, he simply came down to his outlying territories. To do on earth in the place of humiliation what he's always done in heaven. Your will, Father. Your will. If we are calling people as well as to believe in grace, believe that there's a new life to be lived in the ways of God. We've got to be walking in the ways of God. And even though we might not ever say to anyone we're doing it perfectly, that's where we're struggling by the help of God in order to get into that more and more. See, we've not just to be immersed in the love of the Father. We've to be immersed in the obedience of the Son. Let's have a few tests then about what does it mean to be immersed in the obedience of the Son of God. Number one, can you be happy when all your needs are not being met? You see, out there, the world that we are to evangelize believes I can be happy if, and I can be happy if, and I can be happy if. If I have all these things, I could be happy. Here's Jesus in the wilderness. He's not at food for 40 days. And the devil suggests a way out of it because we know that Jesus did produce supernaturally fruit in his ministry. So the devil brings a temptation. Why not just turn these stones into bread? Then that need will be met. First thing about sonship. If God is calling me to walk in a place, at least for a while, that my needs are not met, I'm going to stay in that place, obeying him, rather than meet my needs in a way that takes me out of the will of God. Some of you here say, well, I've got sexual needs. My wife isn't supplying them. There's something in me that needs them supplied. So I'll just put it on the internet. And you want to argue with me about baptism in the Spirit? 
Come on, friend. I sat with people in my vestry in Wester Hills, that was where I was last minister. Somebody said, how do you get to Wester Hills? Somebody else said, in an armoured car. <laughs> That's the sort of place it was. I sat in the vestry with somebody, a Christian man, an evangelical, born-again Christian, well-known throughout the Christian scene, telling me he visited prostitutes regularly. Because of sexual need. It began with pornography. I've met Christian counsellors who tell people, Christian, to tell Christians, Christian, uh, pornography is okay. Don't get too worried about it. It came to a head because he came into the church cafe and found that one of the prostitutes had started coming to the church. So he thought he'd better tell me. Let's think of another need to illustrate it. Sleep. I went for 15 years where I never slept for more than two hours a night. Sleep is a need. Tried every sleeping pill and eventually the doctor said, well, we haven't got any more. So I took the last one, no effect. Decided to double the dose, no effect. Triple the dose, no effect. Now this will annoy, if I'm having already annoyed those who don't believe in the baptism of spirit, this will annoy the teetotalists, but here it goes. <laughs> I thought I'd take a triple dose and a whiskey. I like whiskey, by the way. <laughs> no effect. Well, I'll take a triple dose and two whiskeys. Nothing. Well, I'll take a triple dose and three whiskeys. At that point, where I said I was staggering around the house like a tranquilized bear. <laughs> but I couldn't lie down and sleep. And eventually God spoke. He said, Kenny, the fact that sleep is a need doesn't mean you can meet that need in a way, in a way that takes you out of my will. You're facing a need today. Might be a need for justification in your workplace, validation, vindication. I'll speak about that need later on, maybe. And it's not happening. And you think, well, it's a need. So I'm jolly well going to make sure it's satisfied. We sort of blame God, God, you gave me this need, you made me this way. You know the sort of thing, there wouldn't be an apple if it wasn't in the plan. It's your fault. This is the way I'm made. You know you're a son when God says no to something. And you still love him. You don't know you're a son 
if it's easy to obey the Father and everything's going well. So a minister called Jack Frost, that was his name, believe it or not. And the senior pastor was called Jack Winter, and he was Jack Frost. <laughs> he was brought up in a dysfunctional home, and uh, he was saved, and the, the, uh, a businessman more or less adopted him as his son, and said to him, Jack, one day this business will be yours. And it's in America, the man's wife became ill, and he couldn't hand over the business, and called in Jack and said, Jack, I'm, I'm sorry, we're, we're going to need to put this in hold. This is what Jack said. He said, my face went black. I thumped the table. I said, but you promised me. And he turned and he walked out of the man's life. He said, you only know if you've got the heart of a son. And God says, no. And you say, well, I, I don't understand, Father. But I trust you. And I'm not going to move out your will just because you're saying no to something. But I don't see any earthly reason you should be saying no for this thing. So you know you've got the heart of a son if God says no to something you feel you really need him to do and he says no. You know you've got the heart of a son when you don't go after popularity. We want to have influence, but we don't get influenced by saying to the world, actually just look at me, I'm, I'm pretty cool. I, I'm just the way that you are really. I, 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 I just want to draw everybody to, to my Jesus. And this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm just like you, really. Just look at me, look at me, look at me. Admire me, admire me. And that's the low-down version of the high-up temptation. Jump from here. The angels will rescue. You want a following, don't you? You want influence. This is how you do it. Never be bow down at your feet. A quick way to influence. Influence without love. We just want a following. We just want people to come. Influence without love, Jesus. You want a kingdom, you want a people, jump down, you'll have them. Don't go the way of suffering love. We say we want to reach our communities. How much suffering love can you attach to that desire? You know what evangelicals are good at? Yes, we're for the gospel. And yes, let's go out there. And yes, that's right. We need to defend this and defend them. Friends, how much suffering love is there in your life for anybody at this moment? Jesus, go the way of influence. Forget about suffering. Forget about loving. Forget about going to the cross. 
suffering love. It's part of being a son of the Father who had suffering love and his son shared it. What else? All this I'll give to you. Just for a moment. Nobody will ever see it. Nobody will ever see it. Bow down. I'll let you get up again. Just for a moment. Just compromise. Give me just a second's glory and praise. I'll give you all. You don't need to ever tell me about the need. Hidden forever. How can we share with a clear conscience? Some of you get to where you got in business or some of your money. Just for a second. You just took away a compromise. <laughs> One of the believers in Orkney when I first started my ministry he made some money through cheating his work. Nobody knew. And after he became a Christian, he went to the head of the business and said how much he cheated him out of. And he'd become a follower of Jesus. And the head of the business said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll just write down on a piece of paper the amount that you say I'll work it out in terms of increase and so on I'm not going to call in the police <coughs> give that money away to those in need and he did it You've been tempted right now. If I do this, evade this, don't quite answer that question. Nobody will ever know. But at that moment, you've bowed down. And praise God that we're met in level ground, not in accusation today. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I shared at uh, Stornoway, I'll close with this. Let's remember we're coming to the cross. The cross where the Father's love was demonstrated, where our disobedience as sons can be forgiven. The cross without which the Spirit couldn't be poured forth upon. It's a, a minister called Mike Breen. He served in Sheffield, and a big man, six foot five. He had a seven foot cross, and he used to, when he was before Sheffield, he was in Brixton, and he used to put up the cross and just hold meetings around it. He felt one night, turned to his wife and said, "Darling, I think I have to walk round the streets with the cross." 
was two in the morning. And he said, well, you better, she said, well, you better do it then. So he, he got up and he went round the streets of Brixton, came back and she said, uh, what happened? He said, well, absolutely nothing. And the next day, two of his church were out door to door knocking. And they were hauled in by one man. And he said to them, I'm a Jew. He said, I've been feeling sad, not knowing where my life is going. Ask God to show me my Messiah. Last night I opened my curtains at 2.30 in the morning. There's a man walking past with his shoulders bowed, with a cross over his shoulders. Tell me how to find Jesus. Isn't it good to know that we can come hand in hand? Preaching is always fingers pointing back, you know? I preach to my own conversion. And my own sanctification and my own moral. I'm coming with you to the fruit of the cross. If any of us think, well, I've got a bit better theology than you, that's fine by me. And if you think I could preach better, fine by me. Any of you think I'm living better, fine by me. Just shows you're nowhere with God if that's how you're thinking. Because this is how we know we're in the right place. I've got nothing. The only thing I possess is a place in my own, as Bill Govier says, is a place in hell. It's the only thing I could call my own. Everything else. Mercy and grace. So we're in level ground. And if you've listened to the accuser, you've listened to the wrong voice. If you've listened to the Holy Spirit, he convicts. But he convicts unto life. Not unto condemnation. So how are we going to influence the world? Are we utterly immersed in the Father's delighted love in his sons that's not based on work? As we go out in the name of Jesus the Son, are we living in that place of being sons? Happy to obey God when our needs are not being met. Not thinking of every ploy by which I can avoid suffering in order to evangelize people. In the private place of my own heart where nobody sees. Oh God, if I bow down, if I bow down to Satan in a way that not one other man in this place <coughs> knows a thing about. Let's just pray briefly. Father, we simply pray that mercy upon us. Pour out your grace that in a frenetic world we 
might find rest and being loved by you. And as we live as sons, show others there's a different way to do life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.